0: Welcome to the Midlife with Courage podcast. I'm your host, Kim Benoit, and every week I share stories of women just like you, amazing women over 40 who have found their courage to live life on their terms. These beautiful women have found the confidence to take on midlife like rock stars. They share their stories to inspire and encourage you to find your courage, build your confidence and start living every moment. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please remember to show me some love and leave a review. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Midlife with Courage. I'm Kim Benoy, your host, and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm also very happy to have my guest here today. Her name is Gina Schneider. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Kim, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Me too. I'm excited to see where our conversation takes us because you are a coping and skills expert which we all need that, right?
1: Coping skills. I know it's it's life is quite challenging. Yes. And we all need ways to cope.
0: Yes. So we're going to talk about some of those today. And first of all, why don't you just tell us who you are, where in the world you are and what you do?
1: I'm Dr. Gina Simon Schneider and I live in San Diego, California. I am a coping skills expert and a licensed psychotherapist and a coach, executive coach, specializing in helping people uh, cope with anxiety, anger, stress, and conflicts. So a lot of times I will work with CEOs and uh, managers, helping them with interpersonal conflicts in the workplace and how to resolve difficult um, interpersonal conflicts. And I'm also the author of Frazzle Brain, Break Free from Anxiety, Anger, and Stress Using Advanced Discoveries in Neuropsychology. And that's a book that is really a self-help book meant for everyone. You don't have to have any kind of science-y background. It's breaking down some of the exciting advances in neuropsychology and how you can apply them to your life and cope better and feel happier.
0: Wonderful. I can't wait to talk to you about that frazzled brain thing because sometimes I feel very frazzled. Um, we all so, do. <laughs> so before we start into your story and how you were led to this place in your life right now, I like to start by asking all my guests if there is one scent that you could bottle up and take with you wherever you went, what would that scent be?
1: Well, I know I love the scent of rich, loamy soil uh, like one might find in the forest or really good soil, planting soil. And it was fun to discover that that um, there's a substance called Mycobacterium bacterium vacai, which uh, has natural antidepressant effects, which I found in my research, which I thought was really interesting, that that scent just lights me up, even if I'm just potting houseplants, and I'm smelling that rich, dark, loamy soil. um, There's a reason why it's uplifting. It's actually got natural antidepressant effects. So if I could bottle that up, or wood essential oils, you know, like pine forest, uh, um, sandalwood, and you know, love all those Sure. foresty wood smells
0: sure oh i love that there's you put the science behind it too that's even better i love it <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. wonderful Well, it's, it
1: was exciting to discover that you know that there's a reason why we're drawn to certain things sometimes when you get down into why there's a really good reason why yeah. it lights us up
0: wonderful that's probably my one of the best answers i've had to that question so wait <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. All right. So let's get into your story. Tell us how you were led to this place in your life. What happened and whatever you want to share with us.
1: Well, you know, my my adolescent years at 15, um, we we were abandoned by my dad and my mother uh, was a working mom. We were left with a lot of debt and in a lot of uh, economic crisis. So at 15, I started working trying to help Make the difference, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, eventually lived as an emancipated minor, supporting myself, and um, and so I was originally interested in becoming a singer-songwriter because I played guitar and all my friends were musicians, and so that that was the career path I saw for myself as a teenager. You know, we're all going to be musicians, and. But I was also really interested in learning. So I went to community college and took a lot of classes in, in the arts, but also a lot of classes, um, general education classes. And I was always fascinated with people, personality, personality theory, psychology, you know, all that stuff was very interesting as well. So I ended up working in um, nightclubs as a singer um, and a guitar player. And a ba- I play bass guitar.
0: electric bass
1: guitar yeah i i enjoyed it and that was kind of my original dream i was gonna you know just be a wandering musician or something um and then of course what happened is reality hit which is you know i did get some uh a couple of stalkers um which is really kind of scary when you're you don't know who is leaving threatening notes on your car or oh no um, you know, attacking your picture in the lobby or sending threatening messages to the bartender. And so it was really weird. Um, and I was like, this is not fun. This is not glamorous. I don't like these people. <laughs> I don't like performing for drunks, <laughs> yeah. um, drunken men, you know, following you to your car. So um, all of those experiences were really not, uh, were really making me find that that career idea really unappealing. And also just seeing myself as 35, 40, kind of having to be in this sort of lounge, alcohol-fueled environment, um, just really became very unattractive. Um, so at that point, I changed careers and thought, I'm going to do something in, in the field of psychology and mental health and then i volunteered i i was really in despair because i had put so much time and effort into thinking this was going to be what i did for a living and when you go through a crisis like that you just don't know you feel lost you know what what do i do with myself and um and it was part of my social network too most of my friends were musicians and they were in that life and So I took a walk one day and I was really depressed and um, it was a nice sunny San Diego day. We have a lot of those. And there was this, there was this building that was uh, plastered with all kinds of flyers like concert to, you know, concert advertisements and, and one flyer stood out. It it was green and it said hotline volunteers needed for a crisis hotline. No experience necessary will train. And at that time I really needed a job, a paying job, and it was really unrealistic to think about doing volunteer work, but it was so interesting to me, the idea of being able to work on a suicide crisis hotline and I didn't need to have any experience. They were going to train me. So I took the phone number and that changed my life because I went through this 40 hour training, supervised calls talked people off of ledges, literally. We had a food bank, we gave food to hungry families. We had a walk-in clinic. I even rescued a woman from her homicidal husband. And I was like, this is, this is it for me. You know, it was so meaningful, so much more important. And I met the most amazing people and I felt like these are my people. And so from then on, I sort of changed my major in college and, and uh, went the psychology route. And that decision to work in that clinic led me to everything I have today, even, you know, my husband, my children, uh, my career, everything from that, that one decision from a moment of despair to, to do some volunteer work when I really was lost. So it it really is a powerful and empowering thing to do is to take some action, pro-social action that moves you forward in the direction of your values, even when you're very, very lost, that that usually is a really good decision, even if your rational mind is saying, this doesn't make sense to do volunteer work you know, it was a good decision. And then I went through many different um, specializations because I've been in the business for a very long time, right? So I, we did critical incident debriefings after workplace homicides, we would go in, we would help people cope who had witnessed something horrific at work. And then after we did a lot of that, we realized preventing that is much more helpful. (laughs) So uh, we wanted to go into preventing hostilities from getting to that level in workplaces, that we, if we could get into conflict management and really helping people to understand how to cope better, we became a mandatory training for managers at A couple of Fortune 500 companies, we did trainings for the FBI, emotion management, anger management. That's been really rewarding because when people learn the skills, they feel so much better. And when we feel less helpless, we're less angry. And it reduces that sort of anxious arousal that you get when you're feeling overwhelmed and helpless. Mm -hmm. So that's been very meaningful work. And that's been a big part of our specialization.
0: When you said that about feeling helpless and it turns to anger, I know people where, you know, I've learned like if they're acting angry, they're probably feeling like they can't do something. And I think that's a really good point to kind of keep in your mind, just in general, right?
1: Right. And in our own mind, it, it, you know, and all of us have been to, in that position. I'm sure anybody that's ever raised children, you've been in this place where it's like you feel helpless, like they're not cooperating. Why aren't they going to sleep? You know, (laughs) what is happening here? I feel helpless and incompetent. And so learning about parenting skills, learning parenting techniques, learning training techniques for children makes you feel more empowered. It's like, oh, there's something I can actually do that works. Uh, let me try that. And just that alone can help, uh, help buy us some more patience.
0: I also love that you said about preventing before it gets to that point where something horrible happens. That's also another theme that we could talk about in almost any area. So are you teaching people how to watch for signs in themselves or in other people? Or how does that work with like interpersonal conflicts that you're talking yeah, about?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with ourselves first. And it starts with how we're thinking about the conflict, how we're th- how we're framing it in our mind, and how we're soothing our own physiological arousal. Because typically happens in workplaces, a lot of times it'll be around cultural conflicts, it'll be around conflicts of expectations, uh, conflicts of perception. And the first thing that happens is we, we might demonize the other person, or we might label them, that person's lazy, that person's unreliable, that person's unreasonable. Um, Or maybe the other person's really angry and we don't understand, we don't see any rational reason why they would be angry with us. And so we become afraid Mm -hmm. and we react with, um, with defensiveness and, um, and then what happens is reactivity breeds dysfunction. The more we react to something we think is unreasonable, the more dysfunctional the whole interaction becomes because now you have escalation of emotional arousal. And um, all of that comes from our assumptions. You know, if this person's angry with me, they must be crazy. They're irrational. I didn't do anything wrong. And if we can pause for a moment, take some deep breaths, manage our own arousal and ask some questions, you know, with curiosity and with a calm kind of compassionate curiosity. You seem upset with me what's been going on, um, what's troubling you, if we can calm down a little bit, our heart might still be going ka-thump, ka-thump, you know? <laughs> um, but if, if people have the skills to calm down in that situation and get more information, you know, you might find out that you accidentally stepped on somebody's toes and you had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, their their wife is is, is in surgery for cancer and You changing that meeting made it so they can't go to their their wife's appointment and they see you as somebody that's done that a lot, not considered their feelings and not checked with them first and they feel disrespected. Now, all of a sudden, this unreasonable person seems very reasonable when you get underneath what's going on with them that would cause that kind of level of hostility, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of more reasonable. Oh, they're they're in a crisis right now. That crisis doesn't have anything to do with me. I was inconsiderate and in changing the meeting and not checking with their schedule. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was. I thought it would be okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So So those are the kind of things that we teach people how to listen more without judgment. And if we can learn to calm ourselves down with a compassionate and flexible mm-hmm. mindset, we might notice that this anger coming at us is an opportunity for bonding. It's an opportunity to learn about someone. It's an opportunity to show um, caring. And um, and I've seen things turn around like that when, when you can do that. And even if someone is mentally ill and they are hallucinating, if we calm our nervous system down, if you ever watch the show, The Dog Whisperer, with Caesar, he talks about how the dog can feel your tension through the leash
0: yes. <laughs> on her neck.
1: <laughs> and and if you can calm yourself down, animals sense that. Our animal brain senses fear. It senses hostility. And animals will, you know, run and cower if um, and you can say the nicest words. But the dog is listening to tone, right? The dog sure. is listening to emotional energy, not the words. Right. And humans are the same way. We we listen to emotional tone, even if you are using proper language. Mm-hmm. But your tone is condescending. Yes. Yes. Right?
0: Yes. I yeah, you I can always tell like you're not really meaning what you're saying. There's something no. behind there.
1: <laughs> no and you know authenticity and sincerity and compassion are very very powerful mm-hmm. so when we feel powerless we tend to want to escalate with anger we raise our voice if we can see this access the superpower of compassion and and or if we can't be compassionate just calm calm ourselves down mm-hmm. And we can do that with deep breathing exercises and we teach people how to do that in such a way that no one notices you're doing it, mm-hmm. but you're managing your internal um, stress, then you're going to be much more effective and you're going to see more. And there, also there are studies that show that we literally see less when we are aroused with negative emotions. They showed them arousing movies that arouse different emotions. Mm-hmm. And they put them in these visual field detectors and looked at where the eyes went. And when we've been aroused with fear and hostility, our eyes scan a very narrow range. Um but when we're feeling uplifted and um, positive emotions, our eyes wander more. We actually see more. So one of the things that helps being able to access a little bit of calmness, is we get more information that can be really useful for our own defense if we are in a threatening situation. So many
0: good points there. <laughs> Again, it all comes back to yourself and how you're reacting to something that's happening, right? You know, in a way. Right.
1: It starts yeah. with self-management. We yeah. we teach people that, and then there are strategies in negotiation. A lot of that has to do with listening and asking non-judgmental, open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Not like, why did you do that? You know, it's very judgmental. But if you say, you know, what is your hope for outcome here? Mm-hmm. You're giving them an opportunity to share their, their perspective. Mm-hmm. And that gives you again, more information for negotiation, more information to help uh, resolve the conflict that's going on. Sure. And um, typically we, are blind to much of what's going on in other people's lives. And we make snap judgments based on very limited prejudicial information. And we all do it. We all are biased because our biases are only based on our own memory, our own experiences, which are a very little tiny narrow piece of all the experiences possible. Right. Right, There's so many human experiences and ours are just very, very narrow, uh, perspective.
0: Yeah. Do you find that people that are my age, older, (laughs) in their 50s, or whatever, do they seem to be more open to seeing the bigger picture? Or do you think that comes with age? Or what do you think?
1: (laughs) I think there are advantages to maturity. I mean, I do think um, any kind of rigidity in thinking does affect our aging. I urge people as they age, and in fact, I have clients that are like 20, 30 years younger than me going, Oh, I'm feeling so old. I can't do this again. I'm like, no, nothing to do with age that has to do with you not exercising that has to do. If you were 16 and not exercising, you'd be feeling those body aches and you would be having low energy, you know? So it has nothing to do with you being 50 years old. And, and so as soon as people say, well, it's just age, it's inevitable. I'm not going to be able to move anymore. I'm not going to be able to walk upstairs. I'm not going to be able. That is a rigid belief that is just not true. So we can have these rigid ideas about relationships. Oh, after this age, you know, you're never going to have sex. Well, that's ridiculous. You can have sex as as long as your body's still working, you know, Uh, you can have sexual feelings. So, you know, it, it, We can have these rigid ideas about aging and what it means. I urge people to just say, no, you're creating it. Your beliefs are making you sick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of really exciting research now that I'm writing about um, for my next book. Um, I'm writing about how our beliefs impact our health relationships and uh, our productivity and, and how important it is to be flexible in our thinking and not just lock ourselves into these assumptions that physical decline is inevitable, you know, cognitive decline is inevitable, uh, that our productivity needs to go down. Um, it doesn't at all. In fact, some people's productivity, if you look at Picasso, and I mean, that guy was was painting paintings in his 90s, very prolific there's no reason to tell ourselves the story that my life is, is done. Now yeah. I'm just like waiting for the grave.
0: I'm going to go sit on know. the porch and in my rocking chair and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. So I urge people, I do think maturity is an advantage. I mean, wisdom is awesome, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and if we're, <laughs> if we're learning the right lessons, right? I mean, yeah. the, the important thing is not to become more biased and prejudiced with age, but to become more open and flexible. I think the thing that education and wisdom gives us is the awareness of how little we actually know. Yes. Yes. And that's wisdom. Right. Like, because if you, if you say to yourself, oh, I've got a PhD in psychology. Well, I don't know everything about psychology. I know about the range of the narrow slice of psychology that I've studied. Sure. So there's so many, so many things to right. learn in life. So as right. soon as we just decide we're smart and we don't need to know anything more, uh, we have blocked our growth and we have blocked our ability to be flexible in our thinking. And that leads us down some troublesome roads. As soon sure. as you, sh- you know, it's it's like the two words that get in the way of any knowledge are I know.
0: <laughs> I totally agree with that. Yeah. So how did the book Frazzle Brain Break Free from Anxiety Anger and Stress come about?
1: It's a word that I think intuitively we understand. Frazzle brain, we kind of understand intuitively what that means. I was uh, in my therapy sessions with clients I kept hearing frazzled over and over. You know, this was even pre-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we're still defrazzling from from what we've been through in the last few years as a as a globe. Um, and so I kept hearing that. And then I, in our anger management, uh, work with people, we always saw anxiety and fear underneath the anger. And that's something Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis talked about that Mm -hmm. anger and anxiety are linked. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people with anxiety as a symptom, nervousness, worry, excessive worry and rumination, they have a lot of underlying anger. Um, And people who lead with anger have a lot of underlying anxiety. And when anger and anxiety combine with real world stresses, like your car broke down on the freeway or your kids are sick and you have important meeting at work and, you know, life stresses like that happen and you've already got underlying anxiety and anger. You have the three-headed monster that I call frazzle brain, or you have anxiety, anger, and stress. And like I said before, when our um, our nervous system is agitated with negative emotions, our thinking becomes very binary. Am I safe? Am I not safe? Is this good? Is this bad? Very narrow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that affects our functioning, our ability to concentrate, our ability to problem-solve, our ability to think creatively at a time when we might really need a creative solution. Mm -hmm. How do I manage my kid being sick in this meeting at work? So we need practices to calm ourselves down so that we can broaden our thinking and uh, access our ability to solve some of these complex problems we're faced with. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that uh, a lot of the anger management books just deal with anger Mm -hmm. and a lot of the anxiety management books just deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. But really, it life comes at us all at once. We don't feel one feeling at a time. In fact, yeah. a lot of life is bittersweet. Mm-hmm. You know, like my book came out during COVID. We had to cancel the year we had to cancel our daughter's wedding. You know, oh, no. and and we had all these sad things happen, and we, my book gets published. You know, so, and we also had several deaths in our family, and then we also had births, and and you know, it, it's like life comes at you with lots of different emotions all at once,
0: sure. and it
1: can be quite overwhelming. So I call that frazzle
0: brain yes so i'm i know we have all experienced that and i love that you're showing the connection between all of that like you said not just one thing or the other because um, it is all connected but um you have ways to help us with that that's wonderful where can people find you if they'd like to learn more if they'd like to buy the book
1: you can find the book anywhere books are sold uh amazon bookshop your local bookstore walmart even target they awesome. everywhere you can Find it in a lot of libraries too. You can find me at frazzlebrain.com and find all my social media links. And I love people to ask questions. So you can contact me through frazzlebrain.com. That's one word, F R A Z Z L E B R A I N. You can also find links to um, the main bookstores um, like Amazon, Booksellers, uh, on my on my website too. Okay. I also have a newsletter where you can get mental health tips for free. So if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, it's going to Substack soon. Okay. Um, and then um, I also blog for Psychology Today, and I have a Psychology Today blog called Frazzle Brain. I'm going to be also in the November print issue of Psychology Today. There's an interesting article that your listeners might enjoy. And uh, so you can find me there. And um, I love getting feedback. I get back to everyone, Um, sometimes not really fast, depending on how much time I have. But I do get back to everyone that contacts me. So
0: I want to make sure that I'm presenting you correctly. Are you working with companies still or how... Are you doing one-to-ones yes. or how are you doing yes. this?
1: Yes, that we, um, since COVID, we went 100% virtual. Mm-hmm. So I do virtual uh, counseling and coaching sessions um, with people all over the world. I am starting to do some local live trainings. I'm doing some psychology presentations and things like that. So we are uh, available to do some live trainings as well. But I, a lot of companies are wanting to do more virtual uh, mm, trainings.
0: Sure. So before we say goodbye, is there any one last little bit of information you want to share with the listeners?
1: I just wanted to say that it the most empowering thing that I'm working on and I'm wanting to inspire others to work on is to question your beliefs and assumptions and cultivate mental flexibility and harness your beliefs on your own behalf. So you can change your belief about aging. You can change your belief about relationships. Because it's all made up anyway. We, we are making it up as we go along. Based on our own assumptions, our biases, our memories. So why not make up things that are uplifting? Like, I can be physically active well into my 90s. Or I can enjoy a healthy sex life with my partner no matter what age I am. Or I can eat eat a healthy diet and travel or I just have to figure out how or whatever your dreams are. And make those beliefs in alignment with your values. And that's going to lead to a lot more productive activity and a lot more positive change in your life than, than the I can't beliefs.
0: Right. Oh, love it. Love it. I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> That's Thank amazing. You, Kim. Thank you for being on my show and uh, we will talk to you soon.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your invitation.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Midlife with Courage. I hope that it has inspired and motivated you to live your best life. I'm Kim Benoit, a retired registered nurse, a wife, a mom, and now a certified aromatherapist. To learn more about my story and to get some tools to help you on your health and wellness journey, please go to my website, www.midlifewithcourage.com. You'll find lots of great information there. And if you would like to, go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter so that you are always up to date on what's happening. I promise not to bombard you. I usually send out a newsletter once, maybe twice a month so check that out. Until next time, take care of your beautiful self, and I'll talk to you soon.